0: And welcome to McGuire Woods Edible Bites, where we bring you bite-sized updates on all things happening in the life sciences space, including cannabis, hemp, CBD, and other emerging markets. Our updates are quick and packed with key industry developments that you can watch during your morning coffee while having lunch or on a brain break. We're excited to discuss today's food for thought. Let's get noodling. Please remember that Edible Bites podcast is for informational, food for that purposes only. These updates should not be construed as legal advice in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Please be sure to consult with an attorney before being fearless with any legal decisions. In addition, we note marijuana and other controlled substances are classified as Schedule 1 by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency. Any content contained or discussed herein is not intended to provide legal advice to assist with the violation of any state or federal law. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Edible Bites. I'm Kate Hardy in the McGuire-Wood Charlotte office, and I'm joined today with Royce Juvenet, who's in our Chicago office. And today, we're really excited. Uh, We have a very special guest joining us, Amanda Osteritz. She's senior vice president and founder of it's she's gonna tell you more, but it is an excellent service. If you want to know everything and anything that's going on with cannabis, CBD, hemp, Amanda's got an amazing search engine. Um, Amanda, are you okay if I call it like the uh, Lexus or Westlaw
1: of cannabis law? I I sure am, although Lexus tells me not to put it in print, which is totally fine, means we're on the radar. I think
0: just to give people sort of an idea, it's basically- No, you can
1: say anything, yes.
0: (laughs) Um, That is what it is. It's a super powerful tool. Uh, It's one of the best things out there. Amanda will definitely tell you more about it, Uh, but she is joining us today because we are going to cover the fun topic of lighting up the adult use market. And we're going to talk about all the states that are coming online with- adult use marijuana and it's happening pretty quickly. But before we start, um, Amanda, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself uh, and about your amazing business?
1: Yeah, I'm Amanda Ostrowitz. Uh, Like Royce and Kate, I too am an attorney, but uh, I don't have to worry about billable hours. (laughs) No, but um, what CanaRigs does is we comprehensively track all of the law and regulation in the cannabis space But not just law and regulation. That's where we start, but we basically track any publication from a government, be it a mere guidance document, an FAQ, an announcement, a government meeting where they're creating policy, so that you can know everything that's happening as it's happening, make strategic business decisions accordingly, uh, get in front of policy, and get up to speed on what the law is in a given place within a matter of clicks.
0: Yeah. And it's also a great way to stay on top of uh, how quickly everything is changing to make sure you don't miss anything either, uh, which is super important.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's dozens of new things in the platform every single day. There's no such thing as a day where government isn't doing something. True. All
0: right. Well, thank you very much for that. Let's let's go ahead and dive in. Um, today, like I said, we're going to be talking about Emerging adult use markets. Um, We're going to start talking a little bit about Illinois, which is more of an established market, and then we're going to move on to talk about some of the newer emerging markets and what those states are looking like as they're trying to come on board. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit later about investment considerations and how you want to be thinking about these various laws. Um, But Amanda, I'm going to turn it over to you. Can you give us a little bit of background on Illinois, sort of how long has that been around for maybe folks that aren't as familiar and what things are looking like in that state right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's ironic we ask what's happening in Illinois, but it's actually a lot of what's not happening. (laughs) So Illinois adopted medical many years back, and then they passed adult use cannabis, which went live on January 1st of 2020. However, out of the gate in January 2020, the only companies who were eligible to enter the adult use market were the existing medical businesses in Illinois, and there aren't that many of them. Uh, However, there was plans over the following years to do several rounds of licensing for dispensaries, and the first one was a round of 75 dispensary licenses. Uh, These applications were submitted, and they were scored, and they actually had more perfect scores than available licenses. So the next step uh, was to then draw a lottery based on who had all the perfect scores in the various regions. And before they could get to a lottery, lo and behold, the lawsuits begin. And so uh, there's claims that the scoring wasn't fair, uh, this and that wasn't accurate, or we weren't given a chance to cure our deficiencies. And it's just been chaos ever since because people really invested a lot of money into these applications and um, everyone, of course, will always turn to us lawyers uh, when things don't go their way, but uh, It's looking like right now what they're going to do is have a few different ones. It looks like they're actually going to draw under the current proposals these 75 licenses from that first round of perfect scores, but then they're gonna do a subsequent round uh, with all the people who didn't get a perfect score, but have since had a chance to um, cure any deficiencies, which will make it so there's a lot more perfect scores and then they'll go into that subsequent round of licensure and there should be another one there afterwards. So that's the current plan. We're hopeful that that's how things go through. Unfortunately, concurrently, they didn't want to start licensing new cultivations and infusers until they've gotten through the dispensary process. So not only um, have the dispensaries not been issued but they haven't issued the craft grow and infusion licenses. And so there's also very limited supply. So while Illinois is an adult use marketplace, not all of the state has access to cannabis with any sort of ease, Um, it's also quite expensive um, because there are, um, you know, limited supply and limited choices and that drives you know, price up. So we're definitely not seeing the robust marketplace that we uh, are hopeful will come to be. But uh, there are certainly some operators that are um, doing quite well. And Illinois just passed about a billion dollars in cannabis sales for the adult use market. But it is actually a lower per capita dollar amount generated than most of the states with adult use because of that limited access and limited supply. Got it. And just for
0: people maybe who aren't as familiar, can you talk for just a minute, like what is a perfect score? Can you give any sort of context at all about scoring in
1: some of these applications? A perfect score is a very, very rare thing. A perfect score, I mean, basically the way these applications work is there are a bunch of different parameters who are the people on your team? Um, What are the backgrounds and experience? They score your security plans, your operations plans, your business plans, and there's a certain amount of points allocated for each one. In Illinois, there were extra points for having veterans on your team. There were for minorities um, and a multitude of other things, but you don't really see perfect scores very often. And the reason why there were perfect scores in Illinois and not other places, is that in the Illinois application for dispensaries, you didn't have to identify a piece of property that you were going to have your cannabis dispensary at. And normally you have to actually build a floor plan based on like your actual square footage and where you'd be able to put cameras and they're not all perfect. But because you didn't have to do that, everyone had perfect boxes with perfect security plans because they were hypothetical properties, which got led it. to something we've seen never before. I, I've never seen a perfect score pretty much anywhere but Illinois. Okay, got it. Cause that did sound like a large number of, of perfect scores. Well, your imaginary business can also have a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so Amanda, let's, I'm just gonna take you back a second. What, what What was the confusion about in Illinois? Like why were so many people unhappy with the licensure process and the application process? Was it just that licenses were not issued quick enough, or there was a holdback, or or was there uh, any alleged confusion at the government level?
1: There's been a lot of delays. So initially, even just the due date when they were first due, COVID hit. And initially you had to submit these in person, and um, you still had to, but they didn't want to create like they couldn't be submitted digitally. So then they allowed for shipping and they expanded the amount of time, but some people had already sent in their application because they'd gotten it in early thinking, you know, they were a couple of days away before that deadline hit. So there was some issues with that. Some people thought, oh, well, other people got an extra month and mine had already been submitted. Um, Moreover, they took a very, very long time to score them because they'd hired KPMG to score these applications. And many, many months into COVID, Uh, Beyond the time where we had expected to hear results, we found out that KPMG had had a travel ban in place at the time when they were supposed to pick up these applications. So they hadn't even been picked up until long after the winners were supposed to be initially even announced to start doing the analysis. There was also belief by some people that they were supposed to have uh, a notice of any deficiencies in their applications and a, a chance to cure those. There's mixed opinions on that as well. But the reality is, if you give everyone a chance to fix all their mistakes, giving everyone a chance to get a perfect score, then what's the point of even having an eligibility uh, application in the beginning? You might as well have started with a lottery and had to meet minimum criteria. So there's substance to all the arguments, but the reality is, is everybody put a lot of money into these and if they didn't win, they're upset. So and that's how it goes. <laughs>
2: So so if you're planning an application in general, you should plan for the unexpected that even if the application is perfect, which only happens in Illinois, that there can be inefficiencies in the process that can really delay your timeline to get the brick-and-mortar store up and running?
1: Absolutely. The only thing you can expect is the unexpected. But moreover, let's be honest, these dispensary people were actually really, really, really lucky in one capacity. Um, Illinois wanted to create more social equity in the process and that is why they didn't require you to identify a piece of property when you applied for your dispensary. They thought if an equity applicant could win, they could raise capital on that and then identify their real estate. So they were extremely fortunate that they were not sitting on leases in most states in order to apply for a dispensary you have to have a lease that shows you have the right to access a specific piece of property so imagine how many months later we are where a year passed whatever and thought they would have been sitting on buildings they couldn't do anything in for all this time and it turns out when it comes to um infusion and um the craft cultivation they actually did have to identify properties so those people have been sitting on this property for a very long time and have incurred huge expenses, so there's absolutely nothing cheap about uh, applying for these cannabis businesses and budget for two to three times the amount of time you think you're going to have to sit on property, and if you can't stomach that, you can't be applying for these because all of the unexpected will happen. I mean, we'll talk about New Jersey in a minute. They delayed again the signing of their bill, Uh, and and granted, nobody's got property yet because they don't even know what the rules look like, but all we know is delay, 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 and expect more delays. So one thing real quick
0: before we move on to some of the, the newer markets that you mentioned in the beginning for Illinois was, um, I think you had to, at first it was, you had to be a medical um, business first if you wanted to get into the adult use. Um, I don't think that's something people maybe would normally be thinking about um, for Illinois or other states. I mean, to me, that's that's kind of also a, a point you need to pay attention to. Also, I'm sure it's not that easy to get real estate to sit on forever <laughs> for these applications. So there's a lot
1: of moving parts, I think, just in thinking. About it. And there's also like you know some states you wouldn't need um, medical before rec. Some states. You definitely need medical in order to get rec some states you can get a rec license without a medical but there's a delay yeah. and um in reality at the end of the day the people who are pushing these bills forward are the medical businesses who want to sell adult use and as lobbying goes you lobby in your own business interests you're footing the bill for that lobbying effort then you're gonna you know, make sure that it's got provisions for immediate conversion or very quick conversion from medical to adult use. And, you know, those businesses are booming. They're doing exceptionally well. They are not bragging by any means, but I'm sure they're grateful for all these delays because it has given them an opportunity um, to sell a lot of cannabis, sell it at higher prices, and moreover, take that time to build brand loyalty before the others enter the space.
0: Yeah, so let's, Let's talk a little bit about some of the newly legalized markets. We've got a couple of states listed
1: here. Arizona, you mentioned New Jersey. Where, where do you want to start talking well, about- Well, let's start areas? with Arizona and go to New Jersey and they're kind of polar opposites. Okay. Um, and and one is moving very quickly and one is moving at a snail's pace. So Arizona had um, medical in place for many years And the bill that they passed allowed all of the existing medical um, businesses to convert. And it created very fast timelines by which that was required. Uh, Not required that they do the conversion, but that they be able to convert. And it didn't create a lot of new licensing opportunities beyond that. The only exceptions to who else could subsequently become an adult use um, dispensary are one, if there is a, Rural county that has fewer than two total licenses in it, and there are about seven counties that qualify for that, or uh, one of the forthcoming social equity licenses, which will be around, uh, you know, about 25, 26, something like that is what's anticipated. Um, but the parameters around that have not been fully laid out yet. I'm gonna, However, yeah, I'm
0: gonna, um, before we
1: go on, I'm gonna stop you for one second, too.
0: Social equity licenses, can you? We've mentioned it a few times. Can we give a little context as to what those are and how those work maybe for people who don't understand the difference?
1: Absolutely, so social equity licenses um, were created with the goal of undoing some of the harms that have been caused by the war on drugs, namely the incarceration of black and brown people and uh, the harms that that has done to communities. And the goal is to help those who've been most harmed by the war on drugs, have a chance to participate in this market because how can we now legalize something that these people have been placed in jail for for so many years um, and not give them the opportunity to participate in this market. And so a lot of these programs revolve around people who have passed uh, nonviolent marijuana convictions or who um, reside in certain geographic areas where there have been disproportionate arrests on people of color and drug charges, how these things are qualified in each um, state and even locality can vary. But the overall goal is to help those most adversely impacted by the war on drugs and give them a chance to participate in this market. And it's very, very challenging to structure these programs. So you know, this is a lot of trial and error. The idea where Illinois didn't require you to identify uh, a premise for years, that was just a new way of trying to help create a program and a different attempt at it. And so I, I don't know if we're gonna see perfect social equity programs right away, but it's awesome to see all the states trying and trying to get creative and working towards this goal. Yeah, awesome. Thank what
2: you. Is the, what is the benefit, Amanda, of the, you know, the Arizona social equity program? You mentioned counties and then uh, two licenses, but then you also mentioned, that it was a little different for a social equity applicant in Arizona. Is that kind of like the, the ultimate?
1: Yeah, so it's like, basically card. the way I would explain it is the existing medical businesses did a really good job crafting their ballot measure to protect themselves. But they said, you know what? We're gonna protect ourselves. We're gonna not allow much new competition into the state, but we are going to create opportunity for those disenfranchised populations. Uh, and create those additional 25 um a- applications uh sorry licenses so you know a way to say hey all right we're going to be as protectionist as we can but do some good in the process as well and so it is good because arizona is a very large market and there's only about 136 medical businesses that had the ability to qualify um but when we talk about the differences in new jersey and arizona is they're moving super quickly they opened up uh, the window to apply for conversion from medical to adult use on January 19th. It closes on March 6th. There are over a hundred of them already converted and open today. It is extremely fast. Um, you know, I, was, I speak to operators there regularly and they've said, I mean, they're you know, lines out the door. They can't train new employees fast enough, um, but that's a great problem to have the fact that it's moving swiftly you don't have to open up for adult use the minute you can but the fact that they have this ability and they're not having to new hire employees and then wait around eight months this is much more business friendly and arizona really set themselves up for that and really the business owners there really wrote themselves a good bill so go ahead bryce we can ask bryce. oh
2: yeah um so, so back to new jersey i mean it just sounds like think in a state like new jersey they would definitely be moving ahead at you know 100 miles an hour but but really what's going on there amanda
1: so new jersey's also had medical on the books for a long time but in order to adopt um adult use they tried to do it through the legislature uh last year that fell apart at the 11th hour everyone thought it was gonna get voted on and uh you know how things get bargained for across the aisle and, and it fell apart so this time around instead of attempting to get it pushed through legislatively they uh they voted to put it up to the to the citizens the legislature did that for a constitutional amendment that would allow adult use cannabis um but once they do a constitutional amendment they still need to pass enabling legislation to create the program there and they are having a lot of trouble agreeing on this legislation and there have been lots of issues at first uh the biggest hold up was to do with social equity, and that delayed these things very many months. I mean, we for sure thought it would be done in 2020. It's not been, um, and now uh, the current back and forth has to do uh, with expungements, because part of the, the you know goal of all of this, from a policy perspective, is not just to give out a few social equity licenses, but also repair some of the damages done by the war on drugs in the form of expunging nonviolent offenses for uh, marijuana from people's records and actually giving them a chance to excel in society and put that behind them. Uh, California did it. Uh, In California, initially, they required the uh, person to submit for uh, the expungement of their files and realize that these people who have had such hardships really that was a lot to ask of them, even though it wasn't a hard process. And so the next legislative session, they actually went through and required the counties to auto identify those eligible for expungement and do it themselves for them. And that was really awesome uh, to see. But this is one of the provisions that's very important from a social impact perspective. And that is why there's a lot of back and forth on this. They stopped legislative session um, in the second week of February to try to reconvene in committee and come back with something that was supposed to be signed tomorrow, February 18th. It has now been pushed to Friday. We will see if there's more delays thereafter. It's, I mean, delay has been the name of the game for months. So until it's signed, I'm not gonna predict when that's be <laughs> better odds in Vegas. <laughs> okay. Now, mind you, yeah. there's gonna be another 18 months after that bill gets signed before they even have, uh, you know, applications and dispensary winners selected, let alone having their doors opened. and that's normal for from the time of implementation of a program to you know opening to be you know 12 to 18 months but we're not even going to have you know regulations proposed for another four to six months, let alone an application window winning and if anybody is going to figure out how to delay it and have lawsuits around scoring. it's already New Jersey. They had it with adult uh, with medical. I'm sure it will happen again. And the craziest part is that the local governments only get 180 days to decide whether or not they're going to allow cannabis businesses in their locality from the time the governor signs the bill. Meaning these local governments will be deci- done deciding whether or not they're gonna allow dispensaries before the state has even finalized its regulations on what dispensaries will look like in those towns if they do allow it. So it is very much backwards in that sense. and. Um, very constraining on the local governments.
0: Kind of hard to plan your business that way too. If you're you're
1: somewhere in a county that decides never mind. <laughs> we're- well, the best part is is they only get to decide one time in these 180 days what they're going to do for the next five years, which is just illogical. Uh, normally, a city could say, you know what, we're not ready right now. We're going to prohibit, and then we'll see how it works in these other cities. And then we'll look at it again you know, in a couple of years and decide and then maybe we'll opt in. But as written in the current legislation, these local governments only get to decide one time within six months and must stick to that decision for five years. Now, if we're gonna play predictions, I don't think that will stick. I think in the next legislative session, the local governments will lobby to remove that provision because lawmaking is generally in a process and it requires revision. Um, but I'm guessing they could they were taking what they could get at the first go around and um, I'm guessing the state didn't want them to have any control and the locals were lobbying for control and this is the compromise they ended up with. Um, But it's very, very atypical.
0: Um, What's interesting and not exactly the same, Royce and I talked about this on another one of our um, videos, the for pharmacies in states, the Food and Drug Administration uh, published their memorandum of understanding with how they're basically gonna work with states. to enforce some of the compounding issues that have been going on. But with that, states get a year to decide if they're gonna sign, but once they sign, if they don't like it, they have 60 days, they can just say, I'm out, um, or they can come back in. So sort of two different, totally different ways of approaching things. Um,
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you, I've never seen anything like this, where there was a unlimited number of dispensaries to be allowed in a state where the governments had to decide in six months because Right, you look at the the examples of that, that's Colorado, that's Michigan, that's Washington, that's Oregon, that's California. There's still new cities to this day deciding to opt in because they've seen it, they want the new jobs. they want the revenue. And so there's always new opportunities coming up. But to see well, and, and mind you, there's actually more governments in little tiny New Jersey than in all of California. California's 539, New Jersey's over 560. And oh, wow. um, they all have to create policy in the same six months. I mean, how many meetings do you think you can attend a day? <laughs> right. Not so that
2: Amanda, many. moving forward quickly, could you just touch on a few key points on Ama- on <laughs> Montana and South Dakota?
1: Yeah, and, and much uh, Kind of, yeah. <laughs> Um, And and the thing to go into New Jersey and close that out with is if you don't have at least a million and a half dollars that you're okay flushing down a toilet or lighting on fire, that is not a game to be played in because most people who play in that are going to lose at least a million and a half dollars and a few lucky ones will win. Um, And and that might be an underestimate of the amount you'll spend. Montana, on the other hand, is not playing with big business. Montana requires you to be a local resident. Um, In Montana, own a majority of the business and moreover, one per person. (laughs) It is not a business, but it's plenty of opportunities for the people of Montana to have cannabis businesses.
2: So that's like a cool timeout moment, and it's just important to remind, you know, kind of our listeners and viewers here that do not assume that because you're a multi-state operator that it's going to be super easy to get into a market and you can just ignore the locality requirements. Montana is a great example of hyper-local, maybe protectionism, but a play that you have to think through very carefully due to the requirements there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a play at the end of the day for an MSO. Uh, The reality is, is I think that they probably didn't pay attention to Montana and didn't advocate for Mm -hmm. what should be in that measure. And the reality is, and uh, we'll talk about it a little later, is uh, this is much a game of knowing what's happening as much as it is a government affairs game. And mm -hmm, maybe they just didn't care or maybe they didn't pay attention and Montana wasn't a priority. But turning to South Dakota, They were the first state to ever pass both a medical measure and a recreational measure in one vote. Uh, They had both on the ballot, both passed, uh, but there you see a line to recreational and that is because uh, unfortunately the constitutionality of the recreational um, bill was uh, challenged. And as of now they have deemed it uh, unconstitutional and Uh, we will see where that ends up in appeals, but that does not invalidate the medical measure that was passed. So right now, it's looking like there may only be a medical program, but I'm sure there will probably be an appeal uh, to this current ruling on the recreational side.
0: Yeah, that was kind of an interesting twist. Go ahead, Rice.
2: Yeah, I was just saying, hopefully, South Dakota is not the first state that passes a rec and then has it taken away. Uh, It's very, I, mean, I don't think that someone, that would have ever happened, but wh- what did you say, Amanda?
1: I mean, if it has to be someone, I'd rather be South Dakota yeah, than
2: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I guess that's true. I mean, I guess, you know, I guess you would have less enjoyment at uh, Mount Rushmore. We'll
0: see what happens. Um, but so, uh On that note, then let's um, move to the next slide. We've got a
1: bunch more states that are looking like maybe they'll come on in 2021. Let's let's talk about them. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of have like these two tiers. Granted, they're all having conversations, but it seems like you know we've really got a race between New York, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania. And why? Well, New Jersey being split right between you know New York and Pennsylvania. You know, there's very clear indication that uh, they're going to lose a lot of revenue to people driving to mm-hmm. um, New Jersey, much the way that people from Connecticut will and Northern Connecticut are already driving to Massachusetts. Of course, that's not legal, but it's very clear and it's evident. Moreover, uh, COVID has exacerbated the economic conditions of these states and uh, they've all made quite clear that they want this for revenue generation and jobs and in reality. New York was very, very, very close to the finish line last year and, you know, COVID hit New York extremely hard and fast and it derailed uh, the legislation and understandably so. There was more important things to worry about Um, but given how far they got last year, uh, you know, Cuomo has made it quite clear that he is intent on getting it done in this uh, legislative session. Social equity is extremely important in this and, Um, There's a lot of progress being made quickly. For example, when this was introduced, delivery was not a piece of it. In the most recent iteration, delivery has now been included Um, and we will continue to see more and more change. But the fact that it's moving that quickly, uh, I would bet that this makes it this session and I would not have bet that it made it 2019 or 2020. Um, I would not have, actually, we were taking bets back then, New York, New Jersey or Illinois And a room full of attorneys. And I was the only one that guessed Illinois. Unfortunately, I did not bet. (laughs) (laughs) Connecticut is Baroque as a joke. It has a functioning uh, medical use market. Uh, Much like New York, Connecticut has several of the multi-state operators already doing business in there on the medical side. They're pushing very hard for policy. Connecticut's financial disasters are further exacerbated by COVID. I'm from Connecticut and, um, you know, people are saying it's either uh, cannabis legalization or toll roads. Quite frankly, I think they probably need the revenue from both, Um, but uh, they've put out a very robust proposal there uh, from the governor. He's proposed that this go through in a budgetary bill as opposed to going through, you know, the full legislative bill process, rather they tuck it in as a budgetary item, but it's not just tucked in, it's 163 pages. He has set up a task force. It's, it's quite robust and it's gonna create uh, several opportunities. It's gonna have a focus on social equity. The existing operators there will get to convert for a quote, a hefty price. <laughs> and so I, I feel good about that one too. I think Pennsylvania is probably the slowest of the three, but also quite probable. They also have a robust medical marketplace. They have constantly increasing patient count. Um, And I think one of the funniest anecdotes recently is uh, the Lieutenant Governor had a a marijuana flag hanging outside of his office and it got taken down for some reason or another and and he replaced it and he he replaced it with affirmation. Uh, It was his way of saying like, I am steering us towards legalization. And it, it seems like a no brainer you know, with New York and uh, New Jersey right next door as just a matter of time. But so, oh, go ahead. No, go go for
0: it. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, let's talk a minute about the um, underdogs, which you mentioned yeah. something too, which we'll have to cover on another um, session, but the whole delivery model, um, you know, you talked about people driving back and forth across state lines, but um, delivery is just a whole whole another wave of, of
1: trends um oh yeah we can do a whole one on that we can do a whole one on the next slide but um let's talk about the underdogs because they're i call them the underdogs because they're not the unlikelies the underdog has done some very impressive things with cannabis legalization in the last few years that you never expected like you know who who would have expected that you know arkansas would be the first state in the south to legalize medical marijuana right like these things uh are underdogs, but not impossibles. Uh, Wisconsin's quite interesting to me because uh, everyone thinks of Wisconsin as this very conservative state, but for starters, we look at what happened in the most recent election when it turned blue, right? And uh, moreover, in recent months, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, completely decriminalized cannabis possession. Milwaukee County is working towards uh, not full-on decriminalization, but uh, decriminalization with a one dollar fine pretty next to the same thing as madison has done um it's clear that the sentiment is that this shouldn't be a criminal one and quite frankly um the governor proposed this as part of his budget proposal as well um the reality in this one is there's a lot more division amongst the legislature there that are on both sides of, of the aisle on this pro and anti so if i had to predict i wouldn't predict that they will get adult use, but because they're not starting by like proposing a medical program, they're going so far beyond and saying, let's take it all the way to adult use. I think that they may get the compromise somewhere in there of perhaps medical or bare minimum criminal law reform. Um, so I, I do think we will absolutely mm-hmm. see some amount of reform in Wisconsin, um, but TBD, Virginia. If- who would expect that one? <laughs> I mean, you think of Virginia, and you don't think about the fact that a lot of Virginia's population is right outside of DC. Um, but yeah. once you take out that portion of the population, although it's it's a large one, it looks like an otherwise conservative state, right? And they've just mm-hmm. you know, put medical on the books, but this is budgets. <laughs> they, they are very much highly incentivized by their financial situation and they see cannabis as a solution. So we will, we will see. <laughs> Um,
2: Did Virginia have any, like when you look at these states, Amanda, do you, do you not just look at you know, the legislature, but do you look for pre-existing programs uh, like low THC or anything like that as a, a climate barometer? I mean, Georgia has a low THC program, but certainly not anywhere near the list.
1: You know, yes and no, because these things just really haven't always been the indicator, you know, the first time that Arizona went for adult use, they had had an established medical program and they failed. And there's a lot of factors beyond mm-hmm. what you can see. In that instance, a lot of people say, the people that own fentanyl put in millions of dollars in the last month against it. But, uh, you know, I look to what, who is in the legislature, what is the attitude of the governor, what is the financial condition of the state, right? New, like Virginia right now is very, very limited medical market yet, um, the General Assembly has already approved this current bill that's going through there, and the Governor has indicated that he plans to sign it into law. And those are pretty big indications to me. It's still got to get through, you know the rest of the legislature, but uh, you know, it, it's day at a time. It's very hard to predict, that's for sure. Uh, you know, whereas like Minnesota, they've just merely introduced a bill we don't know where we'll go, but I don't think people planned it, but they've had a medical program for a very long time, but it is extremely small. I believe it might be three um, operators and that's it. So it's very restrictive. Um, It's very medicalized uh, versus some of the states that are, you know, have medical programs are much looser and have a lot more qualifying conditions. Uh, The Minnesota program is quite limited. So that's interesting. And, and Delaware, okay, they're not like an introduced bill or anything like that at this point. Um, but the state auditor, of course, right, we're always talking money. The state auditor has recommended legalization as a means to create you know, new jobs, revenue generation, and uh, to disrupt the illegal marketplace. So that's not the governor. It's not a lieutenant governor. It's not a bill. Um, but. It is interesting to see it coming out of the financial side, right? This is the auditor, the state auditor saying, okay, here's an answer for you. And I think that um, COVID has adversely affected a lot of industries, but I think it's actually been a catalyst in cannabis um, because at the end of the day, not only has it been deemed an essential business in many states, uh, it has shown its ability to create new jobs and revenue and states need both those things more than any other time. For? From my perspective, I feel like there's
0: a lot of different things to be thinking about in in all of these states, Uh, definitely, you know, from the state perspective, the money. But if you're interested in getting in the state, you've got to be prepared with your money um, and also that it's going to take probably a lot of time.
1: Um, What are what are your kind of overall thoughts on on all of these states, Amanda? This business is not for the pain of heart. It is not get rich quick. Most people will not win licenses. There's more uh, demand for licenses than there are licenses available. And if it costs you your life savings to do it, you shouldn't be doing this. Like it's just not there. Um, that said, uh, that doesn't mean that people should be deterred from this business. If you work hard enough at it and you raise the right capital or you find the correct opportunities and subsidies, it is entirely doable. And um, that is kind of what these equity programs are for.
0: You, you gotta if be you, with
1: somebody who knows what they're talking about. i would think and get yeah. professional advice. <laughs> Don't think you can just read what's on the internet and in news articles or from journalists, you must. Consult professionals. Professionals are mission critical. You need good legal. You need proper research tools, shameless self-promotion, but uh, you need attorneys like Kate and Royce and uh, make sure that it's worth spending the money upfront to understand what you're walking into um, because that expense will be far less than what you will likely face if you go into this uneducated and unprepared.
2: And we'll talk about this in another episode, but. You know, just to final thoughts here, Amanda, if you are risk on and you're not risk averse here and you want to be aggressive and move, is the timing now to start thinking about these states and start thinking about, you know, what would my business look like in those
1: states? Yeah. So I guess if we turn to some food for thought, we haven't talked much at all about hemp or CBD In a lot of states, what the law looks like for medical will inform a lot of the adult use programs, but in states where that doesn't exist, don't ignore what's happening in hemp and CBD regulation because a lot of what they're doing there may inform the future of what cannabis regulation looks like. So that policy does matter regardless of whether you're interested in participating in the hemp industry. Moreover, the FDA will inevitably some point eventually be creating (laughs) regulations around hemp and cbd long before we'll see them for cannabis and those will have a huge impact on the future of what it will look like upon federal legalization of cannabis because it is the same agency that will be creating those regulations and they will use their cbd regulations as the framework for that so must pay attention not just to what is going on in cannabis policy development but also hemp and cbd because those impacts will be long felt. Taxes versus the illegal marketplace. The really short version of this one is, (laughs) the illegal marketplace isn't gonna go anywhere if we don't get the tax structures correct on the regulated industry. Right now, the taxes are too high and the illegal marketplace is uh, prospering and You know, these are really important conversations to have with governments. They need to recognize that they actually are getting revenue due to general sales tax, and they don't need to put on so high of cannabis sales taxes. Um, But moreover, these taxes will be passed on to the consumer. And if that makes the product too expensive, they'll go to the illicit market. Mm -hmm. And that is what is happening across much of the country. They have not achieved the goal of eradicating the illegal markets because the tax rates are too high. Rather, policy needs to be driven for general sales tax revenue, job creation, and overall uh, revenue production in these jurisdictions, not just cannabis taxes. It will not work.
2: Um, and I, I think that's a good point because wherever you choose to go in these states and wherever they are in the development process, the black market's been along, around longer, is a, is large, is aggressive, well-structured, well-organized, and that is your your largest competition. Uh,
1: As one of my favorite regulators always says, he said, you don't get to choose whether or not cannabis is in your jurisdiction, it's there. You can choose as regulators whether or not you are going to legalize and regulate it in your jurisdiction, regardless, it's there. (laughs) It's whether or not you're gonna regulate it that is the decision you have. And uh, with that, right, government affairs, Great government affairs, people will tell that to uh, the regulators they're working with all the times, but the reality is, is no policy is ever made by accident. The people who are creating policy don't wake up and say, I wanna create cannabis policy. They are creating policy and rules are changing because they are being approached by stakeholders who have interests. And if you are not at the table, your opponent is, Mm -hmm. your competition is. Big Pharma's there, tobacco's there, Alcohol's there. If you're not there, you're not having your influence into this and uh, by waiting to see what's proposed or what comes down the line, you're too late to have any influence on what the outcome is. So, uh, you know, government affairs is of the utmost importance not just at the state uh, levels, but even at the local levels. Uh, it is critically important that if you want to have any input on the outcome of what policy looks like that you lead with a government affairs strategy.
0: Yeah.
1: Super awesome point, yeah. And um, I know that McGuire Woods has a whole lobbying arm, so, um, you know, lobbyists <laughs> is just the word for government affairs, or should I say, government affairs are lobbyists in disguise, who don't want to be called lobbyists. Something like that, yeah. They're important. <laughs> yeah, but th- they can get you uh, in on the ground level and way more prepared, I think that's that's yeah. Definitely lobbying is sometimes seen as a dirty word but if you're not doing it you're not being represented and that's the game right don't hit the player hit the game play the game you're given and we live in a world where citizens uh you know had the outcome it did in supreme court citizens united and so this is the game we play <laughs> um, you, know we, you mentioned and, uh, pharma
0: alcohol go ahead very sorry
2: uh, i was gonna say uh yeah our, our team at mcguire woods consulting is working in Illinois, Virginia, DC, and South Carolina, and all other jurisdictions where things might happen and can really get you a an interestingly good outcome based on the strategy that they develop.
1: Absolutely. And last but not least, people really don't talk about state's attorney generals. And I put this out as food for thought because it's very early for this. Um, But the reality is right now people are focused on, um, you know, creating regulatory frameworks, but every industry legal or not, there is prosecution where there is bad behavior and not all actors will be good actors. (laughs) And the state's attorneys generals, they meet amongst each other quite regularly. They talk about what they're working on. They gang up together if they are concerned about something. So there will be antitrust suits, there will be, uh, you know, Issues where you know people put out product that harmed somebody. There is going to be products liability cases, and they won't just be civil. There will be these cases that come down from states' AGs. And so, uh, I know that the consulting government affairs people are always focused on their regulators, but they also need to be building relationships with their states' attorney generals too. And it's that's we're not at that level of sophistication yet Um, as an industry. I don't even think the top. Um, you know, companies and MSOs and billion dollar entities are, are focused on that. I and there is like food for food, food thought. Well, that's a great point too though, because I mean, there's,
0: I don't know the states off the top of my head, but there's been a couple states where there've already been recalls of product because they're contaminated. They've got stuff in them they're not supposed to. And that just in the world of FDA and consumer products, I mean, that's how it happens, right? Right now, there's warning letters that come out from FDA and the next thing you know, there's a class action lawsuit. So it's definitely a and great point uh, to be thinking about.
2: If you get served with a lawsuit, one of the best places to go to talk about it is McGuire Woods, where we have a <laughs> 24-7 food <laughs> oh, labeling yeah. hotline that will direct you to an on- on-call attorney to answer and manage your food labeling questions.
0: Yes. 24 7, that's your job, Royce. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) If I'm the one that answers.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, awesome. I mean, this has been, I think, um, a great conversation, very informative. I'm hoping everybody listening really got some great tips and tricks. Uh, We'll definitely follow up with you, Amanda. We've got lots more to talk about. We've got delivery, we've got some investment strategies to talk about. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely be, be bringing you back uh,
1: to geek out on a lot of these topics. Well, I look forward to coming back. Always an excuse to uh, talk with you two is, is a welcome one. And um, for any of you watching who are trying to figure out what is going on in different governments who are serious about tracking policy and policy developments, regardless of whether you're in the space or not, uh, your industries can be heavily affected and Canarex is a place where we can keep you abreast of all that. So I'm not saying, okay, we want to do cannabis today and you need us. But if you're in pharma, if you're in healthcare, if you're in tobacco, alcohol, I have no doubt that you're already tracking this stuff. And if you are, you know, you're probably doing it inefficiently because you haven't talked to us. So uh, give us a half an hour of your time. I promise I'll show you something that you don't know that's interesting. And um, hopefully we'll be able to provide the value for you that um, McGuire Woods gets for us as well definitely and
0: all of your contact night. information is up there um including where everybody can learn more about you and also to sign up for your also very helpful weekly cana brief which is great so definitely don't want to miss that
1: awesome. thank all you all right
0: thank you so much we appreciate it and we look forward to talking to you again soon and until the next time y'all can noodle on that thanks